0: Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings, where we are reading Marguerite Young's Angel in the Forest. If I thought I could get... Uh, I've got passion fruit cold tea again, because now we've just got... air still bad. It's still... It's not hot, but it's just weird with the haze and stuff. And I can't open up the windows, so there you go. Um... Supreme Court made another ruling today, you know, because you wouldn't want white supremacy challenged in any way. Um, but that's okay. I mean, if the Congress was working as it should, this wouldn't be a problem. None of their decisions would be a problem if, you know, the law of the land was established through Congress. But Congress can't work either, so there you go. Um, the only reason I'm going off on my rants is because the, the we're on page 172, and the title of this chapter is "America, the Promised Land." So we're going to have a nice quote from J- John Quincy Adams: "The once of man, men once but little here below, nor once that little long. Tis not with me exactly so, but tis so in the song. Me once are many, my once are many, and if told would muster many a score." And were each wish a mint of gold, I still would long for more. <sighs> um. Anywho, oh, I know other decisions are coming down with uh, student loans and stuff, and that absolutely, absolutely is not going to pass. Um, but um, if I could get a doctorate in Marguerite, in Margaret Young's works and study, I sh- I would. I totally would do that but you know, I don't know. I don't know how to go about doing it, but I would do it. Okay. Uh, I have a bookmark that does, it's not going to stay in. So this is a long chapter. So I'm going to be able to do four pages today and four pages next time, which should be tomorrow. So America, the promised land, like a bright star in an otherwise clouded heaven, Robert Owen saw beyond the rolling seas, the promise of America, a place where there would be an end to the concocting of holy lies. Although as baffled explorer as Christopher Columbus, he would at least recognize the importance of his discovery, that the ragged archipelagos indicated a new continent, the science of society, not merely a path to the Orient in its, dreaming, in its dream of dissolving flesh. There was a morning in the rose garden at Braxfield, a moment of decision, fatal and final, wherein the ship of state broke loose from its rotted moorings and the course of the universe was somehow changed. Robert Owen turned to his son Robert Dale, who had witnessed with him so many scenes of mutilation, and proposed, as casually as if he were ordering a fabric at the cotton mills, that they should manufacture a better human nature. What say? Shall it be new Lanark or new Harmony? That young man replied with fervor, "Oh, father, let it be new Harmony." Thus simply was begun the work of creation. Okay. Sorry, I have a tickle in my throat. The father could not guess, of course, the son's true motive, that his enthusiasm was engendered by no compassion for man in the abstract, but a milk girl, Jessie whose proximity was maddening. No theory of society but Jessie, in a strawberry-colored muslin dress, and her radiance, like a fire banked down under ashes, her sulky underlip. Jessie, rescued from early death in the cotton mills, was an adopted daughter in the Owen household, the living image, visiting celebrity said of her father and the prettiest of all his children. Robert Dale had fallen in love, imperceptibly, with the perfume of her holiness, as he called it, who was forced to keep silence in deference to his mother's wish. Not that Carolyn made any class distinctions, really, but Jessie was transparent from her point of view, a social climber, with her head already a little turned. In his autobiography, Threading My Way, written toward the evening of his life, when the fire in his loins had long since gone out, Robert Dale was still more concerned with Jessie than a lost utopia or any other form of government. She was his bell vision in the American wilderness, the goal toward which he struggled, indeed a holy grail, as it were. Late in 1824, Robert Owen departed for Old Harmony in America to complete the purchase of real estate and properties from George Rapp and his associates. Much to his disappointment, Robert Dale was left at home, William, a hardier brother, being chosen to accompany their father on this initial voyage between the old world and the new, so that in the pressure of events must be deferred that happy day when Jessie, with her light brown hair, would stand framed by honeysuckle at the door of a rude log cabin. Though as it was, Robert Dale enjoyed a last long look at Jessie in the flesh, and pressed upon his memory the rustle of her petticoats on the stairs, her little hands like doves, her little feet like mice. Oh, what social chasm could ever yawn between himself and Jessie, a finished pattern without fault, and with a bunch of violets between her breasts. Although it was planned that the entire Owen household be reproduced in Indiana, <clears throat> complete with Caroline's sewing-basket, Robert Dale hoped that, in the wilderness, this old world, with all its unequal arrangements, would have dissolved, and Jessie would be his superior. There was no need of hurry, Caroline said. She would wait until New Harmony was put on a permanent basis, as she feared instability. What, she wondered in the perfection of utopia, would become of our lady violence, all dressed up with no place to go. Caroline could have found her thimble in her dark, in her dark. She knew exactly in what drawer under what tissue was her wedding dress, a filmy whiteness, which should also be her shroud. She was quietly amazed that only herself and perhaps the postman appreciated the disintegration of her family, that they contemplated the order of the universe to the exclusion of everything else, such as the crow's feet on her brow and her hair which had already turned to grey. How could agnosticism redeem the godless world? According to the Times, the curtain had dropped on Robert Owen's little drama, not soon to be lifted up again. The curtain rose, in Washington, D.C., the early spring of 1825, in the presence of an Olympian assembly, an audience constituting perhaps more drama than the play. They were not mere dreamers projecting themselves on cold eternity. They shot their enemy first and asked him questions afterwards, but never shot at an invisible enemy, for the maxim was, Don't shoot until you can see the whites of his eyes. There was on the whole a deep conviction of the necessity and of the holiness of violence in the national audience however was at least one philosopher that hermit in the white house john quincy adams recent successor to monroe and no one so remote and lonely as he monroe had been a common man who had climbed the ladder of success by sheer fortitude Monroe was not the author of the Monroe Doctrine. John Quincy Adams's most important work to date had been the formulation of the Monroe Doctrine, by which the American continents should move in their own orbit, uncrossed by wandering meteors and stars of lesser magnitude, are henceforth not to be considered subjects of colonization by any European power. An amorphous nation would have been, at this era in history, a dead one. As Secretary of State, Adams had stood for the acquisition of territory from neighboring powers. America could attain its historical perfection only through conquest over the puny. Adams had backed, but from a safe distance, the War of 1812, a confused issue. In 1819, he had forced the Spanish crown to cede the Florida Peninsula, with flamingos and roseate spoonbills comp- comprising the large part of its ambient population, to the United States government, which could never bear to come into con. con- with spanish vice and easy living also and this was probably not the determining factor florida had been a sanctuary for communities of unfriendly seminoles and runaway slaves who had gone marauding in georgia aside from these endeavors to define the nation's natural boundaries adams as ambassador to the court of st james had shaken hands with george III., whose rolling periods and stately pauses he had found most confusing but had assured the king that the power of language race and religion would comprise a bond forever between their two peoples in washington adams's position was precarious He was not the people's choice he felt as uneasy as daniel in the lions den for he was surrounded on all sides by red-blooded Jacksonians, and there was not an angel to shut their mouths. The national capital was split wide open and full of busybodies, vain babblings, debates, envyings, wrath, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. That still describes the national capital. There was never was there so much dissension, or perhaps it is only the usual scene. The greater issues seemed forgotten. The battle was to quote Adams against the skunks of party slander, who were squirting around the House of Representatives, thence to issue and perfume the atmosphere of the Union. Wow! Still, 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 same description? Oh, we haven't changed much from our founding, I guess. Adams had been hoisted into the Supreme Office as a result of political bargaining with land-hungry Henry Clay, while the true people's choice, Andrew Jackson, who had slain giants with a jawbone of an ass, was placed out of reach of fortune in men's eyes seemingly adams had thought jackson would be content with the office of vice-presidency traditionally both empty and harmless but jackson was rallying the forces of the nation around him and about to descend on washington His primary work to date had been to march at the head of various ragged armies for the wrestling territory from foreign Davids, for he and his shaggy pony were themselves Goliath. He seldom bothered to declare his wars. He had whipped the Indians and Wellington's veterans, and now had his eye peeled to detect eastern bankers skulking among purely imaginary mulberry bushes on the White House lawn. Dang it, this bookmark doesn't... He was opposed to the ways of strangers. He had never read a book through in his life but the Vicar of Wakefield. He did not waste words. He had invaded Spanish Florida and hanged two rotten Englishmen as casually as if they were sneak-thief Indians, and now had his eye on several corrupt lawyers whose ways were not his ways. True, as Governor of Florida, he had been a despot outrivaling the Spanish. This was not the important aspect. Crude, persevering, tactless, an enemy to feather beds and higher philosophies, Jackson was, in the mind of the vast unwashed, their symbol. <laughs> the acme of all the Indian chieftains who had chased a happier hunting grounds than any of his creation. Unlike Adams, who had no legend, Jackson was, even in his own lifetime, a walking legend. He got away with the murder. Oh my gosh, This I'm sorry, but when it said it was the unwashed, it was the favorite of the unwashed masses. I'm sorry, I immediately thought of Trump. <laughs> We're not going to be rid of him time soon. In 1828, the Jacksonians would sweep Adams and his party out of the White House, like so many dirty chaff. There you go. Western Democrats, their hair unshorn, wolves in wolves' clothing, would move into Washington. Common men, speculators, gamblers, horse thieves, etc., stampeding educated fools, bankers, etc. Under the regime of Andrew Jackson, capitalistic despiser of capitalists, the nation would progress as if, contrary to Thomas Jefferson's belief, God will have the battle to the strongest. By 1840, the reality of power would have become the myth of power, nothing so wonderful as the old days when men were men and there were natural elements to combat with, west of the Alleghenies. William Henry Harrison, in order to attain the supreme office, would be forced to campaign as a rude, simple pioneer, unacquainted with bathtubs and luxury, bagging wild geese and his enemies with equal alacrity, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the city, in perils everywhere. The several thousand western acres deep in clover, turreted house, atmosphere of tradition, Numerous rents, fees, mortgages would be, like his four-postered bedstead, with springed taffeta curtains, somewhat beyond the range of public omnipotence. In the spring of 1825, however, as Robert Owen addressed the ferment of ruling powers, relaxed Joves and Jehovah's, oh thank goodness the trash is here. Oh, they're late picking up. Um, relaxed joves and jehovah's perhaps not even they could guess the course of future history from their point of view a series of fragments comprising a loud noise but never the music of the spheres so oh i think i brought this up last time but it was this um the sacred the sacred teachings of all um, this huge book um written in the 1920s i really think young could have gotten a hold of this and there is a section about music of the spheres in it, and a lot of the philosophers that uh, we found referenced in my, Miss Mackintosh, my darling. So that uh, I'm I'm skimming it because it's it's written in 1920. It's uh, revering males above all else, so it's a little blech to get through. But um, the philosophy see another take on the philosophy in language i think young would have in the period during which young lived and in that language i think would be is interesting to look at and uh, see if i can pick up some other insights i really should get a doctorate in young's writings but uh, i don't know okay sorry Uh, there could there could be no harm at least in a snooze between gladiatorial sessions As they witnessed the land of words made real the communistic colonization of america when all the trees in the american wilderness were cut down and all the rivers were dried up and all the hills were leveled when there was nothing else to do then they might put their heads together most cooperatively to achieve that greatest of all miracles a rational government emanating from the nation's capital oh my god we're still in this period we haven't changed as if by a mere decision handed down from Washington, the Great Shepherd might lead the heavenly flock out of the storms of life, and the groans of nature in this nether world be put to an effective end. As if by a decision at Washington, all orchards would bear, for the good of the public, which was ever so hard to please, stones of rubies, emeralds, diamonds, chunks of coal, and bigger nuts than before. As if the golden apples of the Hesperides, Hesperides might be gathered on the banks of the Wabash far away, and Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson had not been a frontier lawyer and trader in Negro slaves. The manufacture of wards could be, and no other opportunity presented itself, a very good business, not bound up, not bound up with mortal conditions and circumstance. And Gideon's fleece be caught like Absalom's hair among the cherry boughs. Right now, it provided a pleasant diversion away from dirty perfuming skunks and a fool's calendar in the hoary registers of time and circumstance the gentlemen of the supreme court already in alliance with conservative interests like they are now listened as if wrapped in an enchanted slumber america which was made up of so many caverns taverns and undiscovered pockets was to be covered with rectangular-shaped villages they learned and in the near future oh wait yeah such villages would include natural mankind happiness gas lights shade trees schools bathtubs but would exclude themselves: the hangman, money, 4 post bedsteads, lions, tragic consequences, lawyers, bankers, decayed gentlemen, dead horses, etc., etc. Each man would feed himself already. there Each man would feel himself already in the kingdom of God, beyond which there was, as everybody knew, nothing to aspire for. Such a kingdom would be its own miracle, its own blindness. A woman would hold her tongue. What was the cash value? <laughs> Uh, new Harmony would be the name of this first town, Robert Owen said, exhibiting his toy model and uh, the old harmony to be torn down as the rapite arrangement did not present such a combination as required for the creation and perpetuation of a virtuous mankind. Okay, so Harmony in is harmony that's when Harmony Indiana would become New Harmony. So I guess that's where my confusion was. So it, it was from uh Harmony, Pennsylvania to Harmony, Indiana, then to Economy, Pennsylvania, that's where the Rappites went back and forth. And so Owen is the one who came to the new Harmony, Indiana, and that's what he purchased from uh, Father Rapp. The old Harmony would serve only as temporary quarters while they were building the new. The new Harmony would be erected from two to four miles from the river and its islands, of which the inhabitants would have a beautiful extensive view, there being several thousand acres of cultivated land on the rich second bottom, corn, wheat, pop, barley. In his many travels he had seen no place so naturally suited for the emancipation of mankind from its old masters, who had urged in others a belief in the cessation of instinctive life. And here it is, in the heart of the United States and almost in the center of its unequaled internal navigation, that power which governs and directs the universe and every action of man has arranged circumstances which far beyond my control and permits me to commence a new empire of peace and goodwill to men founded on other principles, and leading to other practices than those of present or past, and which principles in due season and in the allotted time will lead to that state of virtue, intelligence, enjoyment, and happiness, which it has been foretold by the sages of the past, would at some point become the lot of the human race. He was anxious that governments should become masters of this subject, thereby to retain the direction of the public mind for the public benefit." New Harmony should, meanwhile, be considered as the theater of the world. For it would present, on a small scale, arrangements to be induced among nations, and these new proceedings will begin in April of this year. There were objections from the floor. Was not the Ohio known for its snags, curves, hidden islands, and unnavigability in certain senses? Was not the Wabash even less reliable as a highway? Was not the proposed district already infested with the germs of malaria from the breaking up of the river bottoms? Would not other traders resent communism? What were the new harmonists going to do for money? How would they be able to obey their own laws and those of the surrounding United States, a thing not conducted by reason? (laughs) How would they deal effectively with rival salvationists and political skunks within their borders, perfuming utopia? Robert Owen denied the unhealthfulness of New Harmony, through citation of statistics, to show a steady decline in the rapite mortality rate, the glad tidings of communism he was convinced would spread throughout the nation. If every gnat were allowed to seem an elephant in one's path, there would be no social progress whatever. His manifesto, announcing that a new society is to be formed at Harmony in Indiana, appeared in every newspaper throughout the nation. It was endorsed by many prominent leaders, both American and European. The invitation to partake in this great experiment was extended, moreover, to the industrious and well-disposed of all nations. No references required. Before the print was dry, out of their caverns in the rock crept the children of Rousseau to say nothing of Lot and his daughters. Many a a foot-sore soldier, tired of fighting on both sides of every war, Turned toward utopia. Many a hermit, tired of skinning rabbits, determined to become socialized and tread the paths of science, though sweet were the primeval groves. From all directions came men and women with nothing but the bags upon their backs, discontentment in the character of the well disposed. Poor farmers without farms, barefoot shoemakers, disrocked priests, frontiersmen staring on infinity, a whiskey trader or two, rabid schoolteachers, shepherds without sheep, naked tailors representatives of every state and almost all nations even russia it seemed impossible that the truth which they had not experienced would be fictitious that what lies beyond this shifting world must be shifting too nature at last her ruins might repair as rocks fell to dust new harmony was the eldorado of communistic hope the garden of eden the lost atlantis the fountain of youth flowering siberia rock of ages elysian fields immortal frame many slogans new harmony was the land of satins the land of words made real the land of free housing new harmony was many things to many people the lion who eats hay with a lamb evergreen tree of life community kitchen an angel with a white cock in his hand new garments dance of goats seven years of plenty free hospital our faith equated with pearls streets of gold universal suffrage arabian phoenix hop corn barley for our working day trees, bearing spades and tools, the mind's leisure, a new Jerusalem, new shoes for baby, silver spoon, human solidarity, a chicken in every pot, happiness. Fate leads the willing and the unwilling draws. There were some who might have preferred Philadelphia in a bank account. There were many who could have been diverted from their course by the mere spectacle of a setting hen. Doubtless just this happened in innumerable instances. And the book is missing a period. No. Um, this is the last paragraph that I'm going to read for for this one, then we'll finish it up. No, oh, I think I'm going to read just a little bit, just to get to an even page here. On April 27th, 1825, Robert Owen addressed the new community of hopeful graybeards, tired striplings, moldy enthusiasts, nursing mothers, inarticulate philosophers, poor widows, discrowned potentiates, would-be carpenters, and others. Also, there were many from the surrounding country who had stopped by to witness the birth pangs of a rational world order, while their horses chomped impatiently in the streets. He entertained no hope that New Harmony could spring full-blown like Minerva from the Head of Jove, or like Old Harmony, which, although formed in 1805, had been the result of a thousand years' gestation in the tragic wombs of Europe. He expected no miracle. New Harmony, the future name of this place, he said, is the best halfway house I could procure for those... Who are going to travel this extraordinary journey with me and although it is not intended to be our permanent residence i hope it will be found not a bad traveller's tavern in which we shall remain only until we can change our old garments and fully prepare ourselves for the new state of existence into which we hope to enter ironically enough the meeting place was the rabbite cruciform shaped church the problematical building for which the plans had been handed down may be remembered from heaven along with the date of the world's end, and Aaron's rod that butted. All right, so I'm going to stop there. Oh, awesome. This was a good thing to read after today's current events. America the problem. Okay, so that was part one, and we'll do part two probably tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Bye.